All right, Tyler. All right, Johnny. You like you too, don't you? I do. Then you might like Jailbreak by Finn Lizzy. So as the strains of The Boys Are Back In Town fade away, we're back with another episode of Tummel, or Then You Might Like, presented by The Boys From Review 2. My name is Tyler, here with me as always is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. So, I'm quite excited about this review, Johnny. As am I, yes. The boys are truly back in town. I'm I'm in a rock mood. This, This album has been absolutely pumping through my house for a good month now. Um, and I just, it's, it's, I think it's become like a, an early soundtrack of 2021 for me. Mm. Um, and it's been a nice gateway into other Thin Lizzy tracks. They see, they've, they've, they're this band that have done so many hits that you kind of forget and, uh, you discount until you really start to go back and, and listen to them. I've had, you, exactly had the same, the same yeah, exactly the same, um, effect on me. I've been going back and thinking, oh, I, I forgot about Whiskey in the Jar. I forgot about um, Waiting for an Alibi. Like, so many different songs um, that I'd, I'd completely What about Dancing forgotten. in the Moonlight? Yeah, although I always prefer Top Loader's version. Oh, no, I, no, no, you, no you don't. No, like I don't. I'm, boom, boom, I'm joking. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, <laughs> just every little bit of that song is just... It's it's all I want to listen to at the minute. I'm, I'm, my neighbours must be getting sick of a how loud my music is mm. and b that I play the same songs all the time. And I'll tell you what was interesting about this. Um, more than a lot of the other, apart from maybe Depeche Mode, more than any other band who I have covered on Tummel, who I have a passing understanding of, it's made me go back to live as well. I've really been interested. Um, as soon as I've put down Jailbreak and I'd listened to it and enjoyed it, I thought... I've got to see more of these guys live. And you um, pointed me in the direction of that documentary. What was that called? It was a BBC documentary, wasn't it? Um, about an hour long? Yeah, it was a BBC documentary. If you type in Thin Lizzy uh, documentary in YouTube, you'll find it. It's a BBC documentary. Uh, yeah, as Johnny said, an hour long. Um, it's it's obviously from a few years ago when mm. documentaries weren't considered like this art form. Like Documentaries have really kicked off recently. It's no from the sky um, down. No, well, geez, um, thank God for that. But um, it's it's kind of nice, and it's for you know mildly interested people. I, I imagine like if you if Thin Lizzy are your favorite band, and you really know a lot about them, it might not be the hard hitting tell all mm. that you really wanted. But for someone like me, it's me. been incredible uh, just to like get that little bit of commentary on what was going on with Thin Lizzy because I grew up in the nineties. And Thin Lizzy were one of those bands that you heard of, uh, like you heard of the Rolling Stones and David Bowie. Um, you, they were just there, but you never really listened to them. And obviously I started to encounter them in my teens, but I think this is solidly, again, the first time that I've sat down and really considered the band in any great depth. And the one thing that comes across for, for me with Thin Lizzy is just how rock and roll they are. Yep. It's they they have this crazy rock and roll story, 
Um, it was all about the music for all of them, and and you get the sense that when they weren't in the studio, when they weren't on stage, they didn't really know how to be human beings. And well, they certainly um, knew how to it... pass the time with various substances. That's one thing that I learned about them, <laughs> which is um, which is it is rock and roll. It's it's the archetype of rock and roll. I mean, if you want to see a band that really lived the rock and roll dream and rock and roll nightmare and the kind of cautionary tale that Finn Lizzy is, then you know, then that's a good, they're a good case study, I would say. Um, the thing that I've really enjoyed about getting into them is I've always been a bit wary and I don't like classic rock, essentially. If someone says, let's whack on ACDC, I, my skin kind of crawls. I think that's not my kind of music. I'm not really into it. However, with Lizzie, you've got the um, the melodies and the sheer like playing is so good and the playing and the melodies always work together so it's not just how fast can i play this music or let's do a big jockey anthem it's let's think about the melodies that are being used and let's use incredible guitar work that works with the drums and with the bass well i'm glad you said that because i was going to ask you later on in the review uh, a, do you like this record? And yes. um, then then remind you that if I'd played this to you 15 years ago mm -hmm. when we were teens, you would have really laid into me, called it, what was it you used to call it, cock rock? Did you used to call this kind of music cock <laughs> well, rock? That wasn't just me. I didn't invent that term. It was, it, was, it was definitely a term that was flying around, at least in Wigan, and I assume elsewhere for that sort of, you know, mid-40s, still wearing a leather jacket, ponytail, but no hair at the front, um, smelling like fags yeah. and, and disillusionment kind of rock. But it was it was bands like uh, Metallica, Iron Maiden. ACDC. Um, yeah, ACDC. And uh, Thin Lizzy is so in with that. I, yeah. I think you would, you would have put Thin Lizzy in that cock rock thing. But how good is this album? It's very good, yeah. And like, if you hadn't, if you had heard this album at, at 15, I don't think we'd be giving such a passionate uh, and enthusiastic review. No, because you get into tribes, don't you? I guess you could sum it up with, I wouldn't, at that time, I didn't really like or feel much of an affinity with any kind of band that you could plausibly see their, their logo on a belt buckle. You know what I mean? Like, that would be the sort of band that I would be moving away from. Um, but I'm you. You were prejudiced to successful bands, but I'm you, you preferred Alkaline Trio, you know, <laughs> and other such classic legends. All right, Alkaline Trio, obviously not as good as Thin Lizzy, but the thing is, when you're a teen, you you are prejudiced, aren't you? Um, and I was into you too. No, I wasn't. I I wasn't prejudiced because I listened to you too. I listened to Iron Maiden. I listened to Queen. I uh, listened to pop music, and yet I was the one that got the abuse from you. What is this recriminations hour? No, I just, I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like it, and we'll get into reviews in a minute. I just thank you for apologising. <laughs> thank you for admitting. Didn't apologise. It's take, it's taken fifteen years, but uh, it's appreciated. Thanks. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about you two then, and their connections. For anyone who's dived into this, um, or for Americans dove into this album review without knowing what the hell we're on about, we do the review two podcast, and Tummel is us looking at bands that are. Not you two, but have some sort of connection. Thin Lizzy have a massive connection with the Dublin scene, obviously, as an Irish band. Although, interestingly enough, the more I found out about the band, it's telling how um, you have 
different influences at different stages in the band's life. Um, Scotland, England. I think technically, on the most technical level, Phil Linnett himself is actually technically English and just moved over to Ireland. But he's obviously culturally Irish, very proud of being an Irishman in his own eyes. American, obviously, Scott, the uh, guitarist, or at least the guitarist uh, for a large part of the time, was and is American. And you two grew up in this environment, this teenage environment, with bands like the Boomtown Rats, who I don't like, and I still wonder why why Bob Geldof gets called in to do... He's not written that good of music, has he? He's like He gets brought in as a talking head, but he isn't that good. It, to be fair, though, Bob Geldof... And I find Geldof insufferable also. Yeah. But Geldof, it will be the first to say that I'm mediocre at everything. Yeah. He's... Uh, he, he is the first to say he he doesn't claim to be this mm. this great musician or songwriter. Mediocre at everything except obscenity. Uh, well, yeah, um, I won't do it. But um, <laughs> good. Yeah, it's just he. At least he admits that he thinks he's mediocre at everything. I think he's frustrated that he wasn't more successful, and obviously he's he's going to be remembered for other things and his contributions to. Uh, writing me and performing music. I think he's like minute for minute, pound for pound, spent more time being a talking head on programs about better bands than he has been on record in the Boomtown Rats or whatever singing career he's got. But that's by the by, I guess. Um, we'll do that for when we tell me why. <laughs> so, um, Boomtown Rats, Thin Lizzy, massive influence on the idea of you two growing up, not necessarily on the exact sound, but the idea that bands from Dublin and from Ireland in general could make it it could be done so when whiskey in the jar comes out you've got edge and bono and the rest of the lads and their whole scene seeing that you can actually do that you can make it in that big glitzy um what they might have thought about as you know english band sort of way so i think that's that's a really important influence on on youtube just in terms of they could do it although i will say doing tumul it feels like whenever we go back and we do patty smith uh craft work all these sort of early influences. It feels like every time there is a quote from someone saying, and Bono said, without this band, you two would never have existed. It's, and it gets weaker every time. I'm like, all right, fine, fair enough. But it's like, live and dangerous. Without that, you two, no. Well, um, we were contacted on Twitter this week um, by someone, and I can't remember who. Oh, uh, infuriating for I, I think it was Ian, I think it was Ian Walker, actually. Uh, who said that Patti Smith's influence on you two wasn't necessarily on Boy or October or or War? It came later, you know, with mm-hmm. in the nineties when perhaps it was more uh, disguised and less obvious. But it's it it is obviously there. Um, something like Thin Lizzy and how they played a live show. I think that was evident in you two right from the beginning. They even if they hadn't perfected what they were trying to do and how they were trying to emulate the thin lizzie the influence was there mm. and then they worked on it and they they i they, i think you two became a very accomplished live act much quicker than most bands do i i i three years into your career and you're doing live uh, live at red rocks mm. that's an incredible show in terms of story the way the songs are put together the atmosphere the lighting it was it it just worked it was incredible um, and this is this is like seven eight years before Zoo TV. Yeah, and that energy, so, that energy, and that showmanship definitely comes from an idea um, that that you can definitely see in in Thin Lizzy that 
this is not just about turning up on stage and playing the songs. It's about giving people a, a show and having energy. Uh, by the way, it was Ian um, on Twitter. Thank you very much, Ian. Um, so it was all about that kind of thing. So even if even if Adam or Edge are not going to be shooting the audience with the respective instruments like Phil Linnett does, and he is such an incredible stage presence. He's a fantastic... If, Ad- if, if Adam Clayton did that, <laughs> did, like actually did the, sh- the shooty bass thing... Um, Might hurt his hip? I would... I- I think I would die. I just because it 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 can be seen as a bit of a hack move, I suppose. But Adam kind of, I think Adam can get away with things that um, other musicians can't get away with. Well, speaking the, of the that, Edge couldn't do it. Speaking of that, actually, you've you've got the perfect the perfect way of of getting into something because uh, we're doing these U two Thin Lizzy connections. And sorry to to interrupt you there, T. But I I was looking back through uh, Unforgettable Fire by Eamon Dunphy, very good book. And um, did you know that in the olden days of U2's very, very early career, um, Adam actually found out that Phil Linnett was staying in a particular hotel. He was coming over for a gig and Adam phoned him. Okay, so he managed to like blag his way through the hotel reception and to phone him. So I'm I'm quoting here from this. Okay, Um, so Adam had another cup of coffee and then lit a fag. Then taking a deep breath, he dialed. Hi, I'm Adam Clayton. Linnett's advice was succinct, but not ungenerous in the circumstances. So this is Adam phoning up in the morning, and as uh, Eamon points out, probably the time when Linnett was coming in from a night out, not getting up. Uh, So he says, uh, get a good demo disc, send it to all the record companies in London, and get a manager. Adam went back to the lads and told them that he'd been chatting with Phil Linnett. Bono was getting impatient. Adam was talking to lots of people, but the hype weren't getting gigs. So after that very quick phone call, when Adam was a nobody, musically-wise, um, they ended up, obviously, um, a long time after being reunited at the Slane gig in 1981, the first time you 2 played Slane in, in support of Thin Lizzy. So there's, there, there are a lot of connections between the bands, and they seem to obviously have enjoyed some sort of nice relationship between the two of them. I think Adam reminded him about that meeting, which I think was quite a cool, uh, cool early story. Um, would you like to hear something about that gig and how terrible it was? As in Slane? <laughs> um, is this the one... The, no, in 1981. Right, so that's the first one. There is there is another Slane gig, like, two years later, which no one ever talks about, and I always wonder about that. I always wonder what... I don't know if it's just because it's a better story that they played it in 81 and then 2001. Um, yeah, as an but, anniversary. Uh, yeah, um, but I think they did play it in 83 as well. 82 or 83. But go on, what, how, how bad was this gig? Well, let's have a look. So um, they had got Steve Iredale at that moment as a as a roadie, and he'd only just started with the band, okay? Now, Slane was his first U2 gig, and it soon began to go badly wrong. Every time he handed Edge a guitar, it was thrust impatiently back. While the crowd in the amphitheatre below cheered on the previous number, Steve checked the tuning. The guitar seemed okay to him. But back they came after every song. He asked someone else to check, one of Lizzie's roadies, who assured him that he was right. The problem was that the band had forgotten to tell him that in concert they tuned their guitars a semitone down to facilitate Bono's singing. Typically, you two battled through the crisis. Adversity was an old friend. Okay, so um, so there we go. We've got the fact that um, at that gig, we could obviously, th- th- when I've heard about this, we could obviously think about it as what a crowning achievement to play with Finn Lizzie, who at that point were on top of the world as far as their career um, was going, as far as I can tell, and not being a... We're, neither of us are experts in Lizzie. Um, but we think about it as this golden gig, and it was a nightmare, apparently, um, with... I mean, 
I can't imagine how annoying that would be to have your tunings out for all your guitars and how disruptive that would be at Slane Castle. Also, how, how yeah, but how um can can Edge not uh, oh, like if the guitar's getting passed back each time, mm. can can Edge not just say no? We, we want it half a step down. Well, I think I think that's maybe a case of hindsight, um, potentially being twenty twenty because. Or, or a case of lack of complete common sense from Dave, though. <laughs> well, I'm not having anyone say anything about the edge. <laughs> I think when the edge is is particularly um, un- uh, comes across as uncool, we should we should refer to him as Dave. Dave, yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to Thin Lizzy. Yeah, um, I'm just looking through my book because I put some things in. Oh, here, here we go. This in U2 by U2. Bono looking back on the gig at Slane, and there might be some language which I might have to um, edit slightly here. Um, Then, in the middle of making this album, which is October, so we're already on a bad track, uh, in the middle of making this album, we play Slane Castle with Thin Lizzy, the biggest opener gig in Ireland, and we decide to play the new songs we were working on that we've never played before. I mean, that should really... Who the hell let them do that is, is an idiot. But not only that, we decided to play them first. So we walk on to the song Tomorrow, with the Ulian Pipes playing. It seems we can't get through an episode of um, Tumble without Ulian Pipes. And we were S. We spe- we failed spectacularly. And um, this was around about the time that they started hanging around in the same sort of places as Thin Lizzy. And one of the things that they noted, and you've got to remember you two were these young, wide-eyed Christian boys in a lot of ways, or at least three of them were, when they saw the way that Lizzy were conducting themselves, it was just totally different. It was the archetypical sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Whereas you two would have been maybe not scandalized and perhaps a little bit interested in some sort of way, but they are worlds apart and yet there is a huge influence between the two. I can imagine Clayton just watching on from the sidelines. Sighing. Full of envy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I wish I was in that band. <laughs> Anyone got any smack? Um, right, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, um, the only other thing that I've got in terms of U2 connections are um, just n- nice sort of things like Bono speaking at Philomena Linnett's um, funeral, which which is obviously a very nice thing to do. Um, the fact that they've covered Whiskey in the Jar quite a few times, although obviously that goes back to the traditional Irish song from which, it, which they made it famous. There's an interesting video of Edge actually singing it. Edge without a guitar singing Whiskey in the Jar on stage at Potmart, which is um, obviously it's happening in Dublin. But it's- is it not Larry? No, no, you'd th- you'd think, wouldn't you? But it was it's actually Edge. It's really weird. But if you go on YouTube and have because a look at it, I've got a re- I've got a recording of Larry doing it on uh, Zoo TV. Yeah, I think Larry did more coming out from the drums then. So he did uh, Dirty Old Town and stuff like that around that time as well. Oh, d- yeah, Dirty Old but Town. But this is yeah. this is Edge doing whiskey in the jar in almost a kind of come on lads, let's just have a laugh in a sing along sort of way. So he's not got his guitar. They're not necessarily you know he's not playing it in a virtuoso way. It's just a a big old. A big old sing-along, which is probably what we should get onto, really. Yeah, okay. So, um, thanks for all those U2 connections, Johnny. I'm sure nobody went to sleep. Um, and let's head over to the chart. So, here we go with the chart from the 26th of March, 1976. Hit it. In at number 10, Yesterday by The Beatles. Number 9, Falling Apart at the Seams by Marmalade. 
I, sorry, I don't know how I'm not supposed to laugh at marmal- <laughs> Marmalade. In at, in at number eight, Convoy by C.W. McCall. Number seven, up one, I Want to Stay With You, Gallagher and Lyle. In at number six, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Guys and Dolls. In at number five now, it's People Like You, People Like Me, Glitter Band. Number four, You See the Trouble With Me, Barry White. Top three now, I Love to Love, Tina Charles. Number two, Love Really Hurts Without You, Billy Ocean. And number one, all the way up from four, it's Save Your Kisses For Me by Brotherhood of Man. I mean, that's a rough old chart there. It's a very easy listening chart, that, isn't it? And then imagine this breakthrough album from Thin Lizzy just bursting into the into the charts. Mm. My my God, music needed that in, in uh, 1976. Well, this seems to be a... Um a common theme with the tummel episodes that we do and obviously we're gonna we're not gonna do bad albums um although maybe we'll fall out about that as we go through more and more albums um that are dear to us but um we seem to be doing albums of to want for one of a better phrase giving a kick up the ass to the industry you know like shaking things up a bit it, all in their own individual ways patty smith obviously um even even random access memories and um arcade fire they, they it's all about this is what's been going on and maybe we need to shake things up a little bit. I'm not trying to say that Lizzie are complete pioneers, but they do some things incredibly well and in a new way and with a new vigour and energy. So I'm I'm up for this album and ready for Jailbreak. Here we go, track by track. So track one on Jailbreak is Jailbreak. It's four minutes in length and written by Phil Linnett. Uh, what a start to an album! Uh, just, it just literally music to my ears every single time. <laughs> thundering. Th- I mean, th- that's any thundering album. Bass. Isn't it? That's any album. It, well, <laughs> well uh, possibly. Um, thundering bass, single strum chords, steady kit fitness. It's just, I, I just, I just know I'm in, a, I'm in a safe pair of hands with this, and it just right from the, the very, very first note, I'm, just, I'm with it. I don't need to. It's not like Patty Smith, where I, it's like, oh, I might not like this. Um, what was the first the first line of Patty Smith again? Uh, Jesus, Jesus cried. died for Just, somebody's sins. Yeah, but not mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not uh, for me at least. It's not challenging. This is exactly the kind of music I like. Cock rock, as Johnny calls it, <laughs> and um, I just I'm just fully on board. It, it just feels like instantly as soon as this starts, I'm ready for a, I'm ready for a party. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've summed up uh, really well there. Um, I like I like Steady Kit Fitness. Um, it has a kind of ring of, of something like in advertising or something, Steady Kit Fitness. Um, but the I, I've also put like, I, I love the simplicity of, of the, the and the dryness of that riff as it comes in. I think overall there were some annoyances from the band. Or there, there were some qualms with the way that it had been recorded, but... I think the production overall is fantastic and to keep it so simple for that start is is a very good idea you know as you said just single power chords and you don't need to have something that is incredibly complex to start off an album the simplicity like that, that you get in a riff is something that people probably strain for a lot and never seem to manage it's a bit like the you know the whole deep purple like down 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 it's it belongs in that category that it's instantly recognizable and you if you sat down yeah. all day you might not be able to come up well you wouldn't be able to come up with something like that have you heard the alternate intro to this song with phil linnett um speaking at the start 
Is that on the de- the deluxe version? Yeah, I just inter- I read I've listened to it out of interest. It's not as good. It's got him trying to give some sort of jailbreaky, you know, we're getting out tonight kind of thing, and then it begins with the and I think no, you don't need that. Don't don't go overboard. And I think there, I think I have. Yeah, yeah it's not great. I, I think this version is the best version for me. I like the fact that you've got. Um, vocal harmonies in the in the chorus that's when it becomes not just um a simple rock and roll chugger but you can tell they've actually got great commander melody you know during the um during well during the whole of the chorus really where you've got the other two guys joining in with the melodies yeah i I mean i don't know if i have noticed that but the reason for that is i'm a bit distracted by the chorus because the chorus tonight there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town now i'm not saying you need to be columbo but if there's going to be a jailbreak, mm-hmm. I think I know where it's going to be. You know, somewhere in this town. Well, could it be the bank, the cobblers, the candlestick makers? Or is it? Is it going to be the jail? I think it's going to be the jail, isn't it? There might be more than one jail. In which, how many... in which case, cover both of them. I don't know how many towns have more than one jail. Mm. I mean, I know you live in the deep, dark streets of Manchester, but... <laughs> Try and imply that I live in a crime-strewn uh, city. Well, you, you do you do live in Burnage. Like all, all those uh, Oasis fans might, you know, get up to no good every Friday and Saturday night. We are good, wholesome people here. I'm very quiet at the moment because <laughs> of lockdown. Um, what did you make of? Now, I, I was interested to see what you made of the midsection with the, the sirens going. You know, it's going down, 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 which is a great midsection by itself. But specifically, you know, like the sirens and the sound effects. What did you make of that? Uh, not so keen on the on the, the sirens. It's not out of place on this record. I personally don't like things like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, cinematic. It kind of works. Um, I mean, it do, it does work. I mean, I think this is a really really good song. Mm. I think this. I think Jailbreak was voted um, on some arbitrary poll seventy uh, third best rock song of all time. Oh my god, seventy third. So. What an accolade! I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but you know, top one hundred. How many rock? How many rock and roll songs are there? Yeah, and we've got hardly um, any in that top hundred, so that's fair enough. Only rock and roll rock music. <laughs> well, when you started talking about uh, cock rock before, as you call it, um, I started thinking about that because we did write that incredibly bad song. That is, it, it, <laughs> it is a bit like a Thin Lizzy song, but a really terrible one. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's a bit. It's a bit like a song, but a really terrible song. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it, it, that 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 was a song by mine and Johnny's old band, Daylight Surrender, called Rock and Roll Rock Music. It was an ironic title. It wasn't meant to. We weren't, <laughs> you know, rock and roll rock music. We were trying to think of what is the stupidest name for a rock song about rock and roll. Um, speaking of rock and roll, um, though, and sirens, I would urge anyone who's interested in siren-based rock and roll to check out Psychotherapy by the Ramones, uh, which is not as good of a song, but it does feature a lot of sirens in it. I could really imagine the Ramones covering a song like Jailbreak. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got that... I think the Ramones and Lizzie would have... A, they they share a kind of, you know, like a, a leather jacket stand. They've got a certain grit about them yeah. that you two, no matter how many different leather jackets they've got, they will never be that sort of tough, you know, rock band in that sort of way. I don't care what they say, that's not going to happen. And, you know, more power to them, because I don't think they would be a good band if they did that. But this is exactly what you want if you want that kind of hard-hitting, kick-the-door-down rock-and-roll sound. And um, there's 
you get the kind of um, oozing sexuality as well of um, that's a horrible phrase of uh, Phil Lynott throughout this album. He's a very cool performer. He's got a certain glamour and elegance about him. And in that line here, he says, um, "This is just after they've broken out of jail, presumably, or they were." It, it's ambiguous whether they're breaking out or breaking in. He says, "Good-looking fem- female, come over here." And I'm like. You've just either broken out of jail or broken someone else out of jail. It's not the time to be flirting, Phil. But he just can't help himself. <laughs> oh, well. I think that's my favourite line, that good-looking female. It's so ridiculous. Also, who would, who would want to be referred to in that way? It's like, I have a name. It's Anne. I'm going to try that when we get out of lockdown um, and they open the bars. Well, prepare to get slapped you, in the face. You, you seem to be like a good-looking female. <laughs> What do you mean, scene? <laughs> she replied. Mm. Well, you've not got the cool afro, though, have you, really? You've not got that sort of sexuality about you. No, thanks for reminding me. Uh, so, track two, Angel from the Coast, three minutes, three seconds. Uh, this one written by Lynn and Brian Robertson. Mm. Who, if just as a brief um, Brian Robertson or, or Robbo sort of um, side side kind of issue... He, on that documentary, doesn't seem to come off as well as the other people. Because you've got Scott, okay, who is American, so already he's glamorous in British people's eyes. And he's got this lovely hair in the past, and he he's he is glamour. He is like he looks like a centerfold kind of, you know, 70 centerfold person, his lovely hair. And as an as a more graying, distinguished rocker, he still looks cool. And then yeah. the sections they film with Robbo, he's in a pub. And they've sat him in front of a fruit machine. And he's got a massive pint of lager next to him. Wearing a tank top. Yeah, wearing a tank top. (laughs) And you think, they've not done him any favours here, but I bet he doesn't care. I bet he was just like, give me a pint and I'll do the interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I kind of like liked that that it d- does show that they were a band. It was about the band. It wasn't, they weren't, necessarily natural bedfellows no. anybody in that band no. and um i think there was always a lot of back and forth between the members how many guitarists did they go through it was ridiculous and so uh, so yeah I, I think it's it's important to notice uh, or note that the way they play music together that's really the only time they get along with each other well, there's certainly a lot of divisiveness, and early on in the in the in the band's life, they kept losing guitarists. And what I like is some of the accidental qualities to the way that the sound evolved. Um, so the claim is, and and this might be apocryphal, but one of the things that I think Robbo says is the reason why they got two guitarists in the first place was because they kept like because Phil was getting annoyed about them keep losing guitarists and them not you know not being able to do gigs. So the idea was let's have two. So even if they're playing the same thing, if one goes, then that's fine. And that then leads to the double guitars, the the harmonized guitars that is such a part of the Lizzie sound that you can tell, I mean, on this track they it works it's a key part of the song, isn't it really? Yeah, I, I like I like the way you keep saying that they keep losing guitarists. Like, has anyone seen the guitarist? I don't know. If you check behind the sofa, like, they 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 left or they got kicked out. They didn't lose them. Well, I'm, yeah, well, I'm being euphemistic, but yeah, they, yeah, that was that was Ra- writing out a missing persons report for for Thin Lizzy guitarist number sixty four. <laughs> well, well, um, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, so Angel from the Coast. Uh, the the things I really there's like little flourishes in this song that I really like the the riff in the interludes at the beginning 
um, remind me actually of your mates, the Clash. Yep. And but then by by about one minute thirty, we've hit the solo, and that reminds me of my mates, Iron Maiden. Yes. Um, yes. Very maidenly. This. Yeah, which led me onto a tangent, thinking that my mates would definitely, definitely batter your mates in a fight. Are you, are you, are you having Mate. a laugh? The Clash fans are well harder than the Iron Maiden fans. I mean, this is a stupid no, argument. No, 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 no. I'm ta- I'm talking about band on band. The six yeah, of Iron well, Maiden. Yeah. There's only three of of your your men. Well, well yeah. I mean, Joe Strummer's dead, and he uh, he's not <laughs> adding much to the um, the fighting uh, qualifications. Uh, I think <laughs> that that's a, that's a new podcast. The uh, who would win? Which bands would win in a fight? You yeah. two aren't going to fare very well. <laughs> have two, have two different bands each week. Um, anyway, the change the rhythm changes so much in this song. The song kind of changes, which made me think it may be more of a sketch. Mm-hmm. Or, or certainly more about a jam than an actually fully fledged song. Uh, I think it would fit really well with a, a mosh pit sort of crowd. Yeah. But I think this this song can only be improved by watching it live. Yeah. Um. My no- but I don't I don't see it as a complete song. Well, my, my notes say that the guitars are what I'm focus on focusing on this time. So the last one with jailbreak and a lot of the other songs it's phil's voice and sometimes the guitar for me the entirety of this is just i'm focusing on the the guitars in the background there's discussion of junkies and um what we'd see is kind of like low down characters that sort of thing people who are in difficult situations but really the guitars take center stage all the way through and that's what i'm focusing on and that's where you get these incredible um harmonized guitar runs where um I'm just so impressed by how tight the band is. I mean, every element. The the drummer also needs to get credit there um, for how tight the band is all the way through this. And I think because of all the different sections, it it feels it feels longer than it is. But it's 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 good. It's good. Initially, I didn't really like this song. I thought, ugh. But the more I enjoyed the guitar runs, it was a bit like when we listened to Iron Maiden. The more I kind of got into it, and it didn't just seem like a mess. It seemed enjoyable. Yeah, I I think Thin Lizzy were really influ- influential on uh, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden did start in 1976 in the very earliest form, mm. um, and I particularly in the first two albums before they they became what most people would associate with Iron Maiden. I, I think the the similarity between this album and Iron Maiden the album and K- the Killers album, uh, yeah. that's really. That that's there's there's so many links and similarities. Uh, two guitarists, for example, dueling guitarists. Twi- what what did they call it in the documentary? Twin twin harmonics? Did they call it's just, it? It's just twin harmonies. I mean, harmonics are a different thing entirely. Twin harmonies. Yeah, twin harmonies there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I, more of a sketch for me. Um. How would you sum it up? I, I, well, like I mean, in agreement with you, I think. I would like to see this song live, but I'm not likely to put it on just in general if I want to follow the melodies. And it's something that I was both surprised and um, pleased about with this album is that the melodies hold up and not just on the key, not just on the key tracks, the obvious singles. The energy holds up as oh, well. Yeah. I- the energy, the the energy, the quality in song drops a little here, but the energy is still really high. Yeah, and they're just great musicians. They they are so tight together that it's, <laughs> it's just fantastic. <laughs> Moving on to track three and running back three minutes thirteen seconds. Mm. 
this is a very soulful and soft sounding song from the start it kind of uh, took me by surprise the first time i heard it because i thought wait thin lizzy this band with this iconic logo that i always associate with you know belt buckles leather pants um shooting the audience rock and this is so soft in comparison in terms of its and it's quite early on in the album as well and Phil's voice is very, very warm. He's singing about being still in love with someone. And I don't know, did this take you by surprise at all? It did, yeah. Bit poppy, mm. bit radio friendly. Um, not, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shock to the system. It's not, not that it's bad. I just think it's dull and uninteresting. I, I I find it actually it borders on cloying that guitar um lick the it just seems a bit like a, yeah. a bit silly and a bit like juvenile a little bit. There's probably Lizzie fans going mental at me here, but like I I I I don't mind the key the basic idea of the song and there's some great guitar playing in it, but I don't like that. I I, I don't like that that hook. I don't know if they were trying to provide you know a wider palette yeah. like we're not just this one thing we're not this is one this one sound yeah. it it i mean it is fine and the tralala bit at the that's, end yeah that's good I, I i think that could really be exploded and elaborated on in a live setting but on the record it's just yeah it's it's fine you know it's it's so it's just okay but it didn't excite me at all really i i in its defense, I, I do like the simplicity of the songwriting, and I like the fact that we're not in, we're not having to do like various levels of irony or things like that. There's a bit later on where um, Phil Linnett says he just goes, oh, "I miss that girl," and you and you think like, "Yeah, he genuinely is speaking probably about someone who he misses, and he's sad, and it, you, it doesn't need interpretation or anything like that. It's just, it's a feeling that's being caught on record, and it, it's nice." Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's not unpleasant to listen to. It's just there are really great songs that really pack a punch on this mm. album, and this ain't one so of them. You won't be running back to it. <laughs> nope. Uh, not uh, well. Uh, unlike the next yes. song, uh, number four, Romeo and the Lonely Girl, uh, again by Lynette, and I, I'd, I'd love, I'd, I really do love this song. This is the one song out of all the rest that. I just find myself singing all, you know, it's always in my head, seemingly. And the line, how do you feel about the line, sitting on his ownio? Yes, I knew we were going to come to this. Um, (laughs) Because I don't know if I love it or hate it, Mm. but I notice it every single time. And I, I I don't know how I feel about it. I would agree with that. So my experience with this was, with this was, I was in the garden either i think it was maybe mowing the lawn or something like that when we first um floated the idea of jailbreak and thought would it be a good a good album to do for tumul and i remember listening to this and i think the last song had kind of drifted by because it was the first time i'd heard it but then when this came on is pricked up because it's got such a great rhythm to it that that chord change at the start is so infectious and then i remember when the chorus kicked in and i think i stopped at mowing and just laughed i was like oh god onio <laughs> And, but the more I hear it, the more I don't care. And maybe that's because you sort of get used to the the Thin Lizzy um, vibe of them not worrying about this sort of thing. It's been like, uh, it sounds good. Who cares? If you heard this live, you would be singing along with it. So shut up. 
No, exactly. That I know how how much joy I would get standing in a theatre or an arena mm. with thousands of other people singing that line. Mm. It's a good chorus. It's a catchy chorus. Out of everything, it's been the one that's hooked me the most. That's the one I keep coming back to. But it's that line that I always notice, and I, I think sometimes noticing it isn't a good a good thing. Well, I think you have to. How many how many rhymes can you know. think of for Romeo? Sitting on his own, you know. Oh, that could that there could you work. You, yeah, that could work. You know, sitting on his own, you know. But that sort of that that kind of drags a little bit slightly in its in its pacing. Does it? I mean, it's exactly the same amount of, of syllables. Well, any suggestions, guys? But, send yeah, us, send them go. to us. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they'll become flooding in. I, I, Do you see this as the Romeo of really uh, Romeo and Juliet fame, or just no. some poor misfortuned lover? I think this. I think this is um, someone either Phil is uh, observed or. Um, or it's him himself. It's basically someone who has a difficult love or some sort of difficulties in love. And it seems like a song about a you know, young teenage lover and things go wrong. I mean, I guess that is Romeo from Romeo and Juliet, so it could be. I don't see any mentions in the lyric specifically of Verona or anything like that, but... Um... No, I, I, don't, I don't... I think I think it could work on a few levels. It could, it could be a nice... Uh... Like this is Romeo before Juliet, or you know something like that. Well, um, he was forsaken by Rosalind. I, I like the I do like the idea of some young lad uh, in Dublin being nicknamed Romeo because he's always fallen in love, <laughs> or, or some you know something just just a stupid little nickname. Um, I like that idea, but I, I don't think it matters either way. But I think there are a few different ways to see this song, which is. Yeah, it's one of my favourite songs um, so far on this album. And I just... Yeah, it's it's a great song. Well, in, 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 on his own, yeah. <laughs> Is that Joey Ramone singing it? <laughs> <laughs> my, I, I'll be honest, my Phil Linnett impression and my Joey Ramone's impression are pretty much the same person. Mm. Um, well, Scott Gorman... Um, sorry, oh, Scott Gorham. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Um, uh, the American dude who's a guitarist... He said that uh, the song... If, if he's American, it'll be Scott Gorham. Scott Gorham. Well, he says um, that... Uh, it w- Gorham! It was, God. Um, he <laughs> so loud. <laughs> I have to edit that down in post. Um, right, so he said that... Scott Gorham. He said that um, it was brought up as an option for a single, but was ultimately discarded because no one was overexcited about it. Which brings up a theme in this album, with which is people, um, or the band, not really putting the finger exactly on what's going to be popular for me this and um boys are back in town are the quintessentially poppy songs on this album they're the most catchy apart from maybe jail jailbreak and yet um it wasn't can it wasn't considered as a single which is crazy to me uh yeah i think it would have been a really good single um and it may have made more sense than uh, than the cowboy which was the third single uh, well, released. We'll, so we'll get to that piece when when we when we get to it. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it would have been a really good single. I, I agree. The, the only things I want to say about it um, is just 
the bits that I noticed, and I try and I've not really got much to say about them apart from I like these bits, but um, the the quality of Linnet's voice when he sings for all his charms. I just I love the turn of melody though. It sounds it sounds so good, and there's a couple of changes in the solo where they develop some of the ideas or they they move into a slightly different area and the spine tingling the 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 gorgeous the beautiful you know and and for a, a little pop song which i guess the first time i heard it i thought was a bit silly and a bit throwaway on his ownio um i i love it i think it's great it's such a highlight yeah i i completely agree uh definitely definitely a highlight of of the album and again a song that i, would, that I wouldn't have known if i hadn't have listened to this album mm. So there's there's obviously I want to go and listen to more and more Thin Lizzy because I just know there's going to be songs like this hidden hidden little gems, uh, and I think that's the end of side one. Ed, I think so. Have you got that? Do you know which is side um, A and side B? On I this? believe I think Warriors is the last one. I think there were some changes and some differences in formatting for different versions, but I'm I'm pretty certain that Warriors uh, finishes outside one. Okay, so Warriors track five, four minutes nine seconds. Yeah, and with Warriors, we've got a quote from from Linnet. Um, and he says, um, when I wrote Warriors, uh, in, and this is, he's talking about this um, in 76, when I wrote Warriors, the only way I could give any sense of heavy drug takers was by describing them as Warriors, that they actually go out and do it. People like Hendrix and Dwayne Allman were perfectly aware of the position they were getting into. They were slow. They weren't slowly being hooked. It was a conscious decision to go out and take the thing as far as it could go, and I think what that does is bring up the the well the sad the sad history of of Phil Linnet. Obviously, he eventually died far too young. I mean, we don't need to go into the various medical things, but it was it was drugs eventually at the end of the day that that knackered his system. It would seem incredibly sad, a massive loss to music, um, and this shows his fascination with with drug taking and him presenting a at least ambiguous but in some ways positive image of drug taking as something that is a show of strength and a show of you know being a pioneer and that fits the tone here because the tone is totally different we are not in romeo and his onio territory here this is harder even his voice sounds a lot more um a lot thicker and deeper, almost a bit more Hendrixy, actually. To be honest, um, so what do you think about it? Uh, I think the whole mood is darker. Yeah. You just from the first note of the song, it's that's why I thought this might be uh, side B now because it 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 is something different. It doesn't quite sound the, the same. There's there's been a shift in mood and tone. I, I I mean, this could have been an, an early Iron Maiden track. Yeah. It's it's uncanny how even if you even if you go and look at the lyrics, it's it's a lot more like horror story esque, um, and I, I I think I think this obviously was a huge imp- had a huge impact on the way Iron Maiden and Steve Harris wrote songs. <clears throat> Do you actually like this though? Is this can can you get on board with this? And this was originally where I was going to ask you: um, Would you consider this cock rock? And would you, if if I'd have played this to you fifteen years ago, what would you know? Would you have liked it? But hmm. I know we were in a very different place now, yeah. and um, you, you've you've grown up a lot. You're a lot more open to new music, you little this... rascal. So, what what do you what do you actually think? Do you like this kind of thing? The, the problem is that. I still don't like a lot of 
classic rock, okay? I find it dull, uninteresting, lyrically vacuous, and like bereft of ideas in a lot of ways. It's just like, let's, it's, it's something that appeals to frat boys chugging beers and like smacking their heads together and be like, rock, yeah, that sort of thing. And it irritates me. However, and just to sort of balance that, I think there's some really great ideas from bands like Thin Lizzy and Iron Maiden. And the more you get into it and realize some elements are fantastic and some elements are kind of like, meh, do I need a three minute solo? then I think that's the, the whole point. You need to pick your battles and find the songs that you like. I think this is an interesting song, and I do like it, although I prefer other songs on the album. So it, it's it's good. I like how different the different parts are, but you definitely get that gothic Iron maiden section at the end where there's choral parts coming in, you know, with, like, gothic-sounding bits. And it's weird how many different yeah. phases this album has been through. There's even a bit in the midsection, I'd say dead in the middle of the song, which sounds weirdly like October. It's got the sort of desolate, open, reverby chords that, that parts of October does. And I think probably people would think that's a bit of a stretch, but I don't know, maybe that influence is there. Um, but yeah, short answer is I like it. Good, good, I do. I And again, another, another great track um, that... I, I I wouldn't have known. I'm, this is what this is why I love this tumble thing that we do because it real it makes me. I wouldn't have sat down and listened to this no. album. I I just wouldn't have done. And and it's I'm finding so many great songs that I just know I'm gonna you know carry forward with me and keep listening to and keep finding great stuff about. Um, but uh, I'm gonna go for a toilet break. I advise all our listeners to go for a toilet break, unless you're on the bus. Uh, please hold it in until you have reached your destination, uh, and then we'll do side two. Sure. Side two, track six, and the boys are back in town. This is um, a song which is close to my heart in a few different ways. It's one of the songs that I have played on the back of a flatbed lorry in Skem to a crowd of, um, I'd say, bemused people and indifferent teenagers um, with um, the band Red Light Love. And that was very fun to play, despite the audience not giving two S's about it. Um, it was very fun to play. And this is one of those songs that you see on so many uh, guitar albums. It, you know, front and centre, it's a, an incredible song. And um, I don't really know what we're going to say about it that hasn't been said before, Tyler, but um, should we have an attempt? It's kind of difficult, isn't it, with a song that's so widely known and so, you know, so so famous. Mm. And um, it it has a feeling, this song. And I, I used to play this when I, um, the, when I knew, like, because uh, Johnny is a few years older than me. And uh, as as are the majority of my friends, and when they were all coming home from from university, for example, I would play this song, like in the week building up to it, because I was I was just I was happy to see my you know see my friends again. Um, but it, it's just I mean, how many times have we heard this song over the years? And I'm not sick of it. Yep, I've, I've it, written put that in my notes. It's it's got one of those pub style songs where if it gets played, everybody's singing along, everybody knows the words. Um, it's, it, it is a great song. It was um, actually won an M- N- N- NME award for best single. 
Um, um, although, as um, as I'm sure you know, it was almost not included on the album. So not even as the first single. But it, it wasn't even um, considered by a lot of the band as something to put on the album. It was something where they were looking at the tracks and thinking, what can we lose? What should we keep on? And it wasn't something that I think they realised the pure commercial value of. Um, but then obviously it became a breakaway hit through airplay and through the fact that it's just so frigging catchy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it, it So this was the lead single um, and it was released on April the 17th, 1976. It reached uh, number eight in Canada, number one in Ireland, number eight in the UK, 12 on US Billboard Hot 100 and 10 on US Cash Box Top 100. Hmm. People in America, can you just have one chart, please? It's it's very confusing to go back and try and research. Um, you were saying how this, this song is all about a kind of a feeling, and I think um, so many people will have put this song on um, either before or just in anticipation of a night out. So I've got written here, the things that I've put down is it's that kind of first beer while you're gelling your hair song, a pulling on your leather jacket as you leave the house song, a stepping out the cab and looking about the street as you get in towns kind of song. Now those are cool things that I don't do, but if I was cool, I could imagine doing them. Yeah, and it's 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 got this uh, jubilance and uh, rebelliousness about it. It's It's kind of like F everybody that isn't on your wavelength or isn't is isn't in with you and your friends. Mm. Just go out with the people you love and have a great night out. And yeah. while I, I mean, there are some <laughs> some ways in which that that might be a bad idea. But I think I think that it's it's just got this really fun, youthful energy to it, um, and everybody remembers those nights out. And I, I, I think it's. I think its heart is in the right place. Yeah, I think it is. I think um, what I like about it is this isn't really a song or a story. Um, it's, sorry, it's not like a... Well, it's obviously a song. It's not like a narrative that's talking about what happens that has a particular beginning, middle and end. It's just sort of stuff. Like, there's all this stuff about Johnny getting his face slapped, um, which I find highly offensive. And uh, <laughs> It's carefree, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And it, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's all just, yeah, it's, it's carefree. It's relaxed. It's like, man, if that shit don't care, then forget her. Um, it is about tuning in with a wavelength. And it is about that feeling of camaraderie that's heart is in the right place. I don't like those sort of like laddie songs that are like, we're going to hit people kind of thing. That that annoys me. <laughs> and I reckon there are probably some people who, who feel like that when they listen to this song, um, who I would discourage from listening to Thin Lizzy ever again. But um, it's just fantastic. And one of the things I enjoyed listening to on that documentary is when Phil Linnett's talking about him writing the song and he's saying that he tried out a few different things. He was like, he was like the lads you know the blokes and then it's like oh and then, then i hit on the boys and it's like that's perfect and it wouldn't work with any i mean just try singing it the lads are back in town it just doesn't work the lads are back in town the lads are back in town the chaps are back in town the blokes <laughs> just doesn't work um <laughs> no. great great song um yeah yeah uh, well how, how many years old is that now 45 it's just going to keep going, isn't it? It doesn't. It's not dated. It doesn't sound old. It doesn't sound yeah. forty-five years old. It's um, long may it rain as a, an anthem for nights out. And the 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 production as well is 
is great because it's 76 and i know i know that isn't that long ago i'm making it sound like the dark ages but the fact they paid attention to using things like stereo with i mean if you listen to this song with closed cans on you're not just hearing it you know in the supermarket or something like that if you listen to it properly as the the sort of hipster connoisseurs that we are you get that real um sense that you're watching the band play it live and as soon as Lynette said the boys are back in town, you get someone on the left singing it, you get someone on the right singing it, which is how you would have seen it live. And that's necessary. I like the fact that it's a band all working together, you know. The boys are back in town again. Oh, I love that. I just, I just, it's just it is a great, it's a great song. How it's, am I not sick of it? It's, that's, yeah, it's unbelievable. And, um, kind of cruel listening to it at the moment because it gets you G'd up and ready for, you know, hanging out with people, going for a drink and, oh, we're in a COVID-19. Just do what I do and turn your own house into a club. <laughs> Track seven, Fight or Fall. Three minutes, 45 seconds. Hmm. Um, the chords on this one, I noticed from the, like, the very first listen through of this album when I'd, I'd not heard anything apart from the hit singles and I just, my ears pricked up because I thought those chord choices are lovely and there's a melancholy quality about it as well that you just don't get in most of the other songs on this album. It's a bit more complex There's just it's just lovely stuff and I'd, I've been through the lyrics a few times and they're quite general so I reckon you could paste your own meaning onto this in a lot of different a lot of different ways. It says, brothers fight or fall, it's a man for a man and one for all. Now, obviously, in Ireland, there's multiple different... In the 70s, there's multiple different contexts that you could put on that in terms of solidarity and people fighting for causes and stuff. Add to that the other layer that Phil Linnett was pretty much from every single interview and everything, every talking head we get about the band, it seems like he was literally the only black guy in Ireland at all. And certainly the only black guy who fronted a band. So it kind of adds to that a little bit, um, the idea of you know fighting for something. But it's just so generally you can put a lot of different um, meanings on it. And the way that he sings it means that you know there's some sort of meaning invested in it. So I, I love it. I think it's a great song. Yeah, uh, it's, inter- it's interesting as well because it, it kind of challenges the way that I listen to the album because obviously... Uh, with the the benefit of time, I, I'm listening to this album in 2021, mm-hmm. and I don't uh, I don't it doesn't matter to me, or I, I don't think it matters to most people, or it shouldn't matter to anybody, whether it's a, a black guy or a white guy, sing, you know, singing this song. So I I, I like that th- this is such a great album, and I can and I can appreciate it, and I don't have to think about things like that. Now, obviously, that's not the world in which Phil Linnett lived in and not the existence that he had. Mm. But I'm, I am I kind of like that it's it's not about, for me, it's not about a, a, a black guy or, or a white guy. It's just about a great album and a great band. Mm. So, yeah, so I, it kind of I, it makes me think about, the, this song makes me think about those things, but I don't necessarily, it's not natural for me to... Um, to think well that's like what i'm that. saying it's it's it, the lyrics are so general that what you've got is a song that has feeling in it because of the way he's singing and yet you can come to it and take so many different things away so so i mean he's got this line that the main chorus is after all this time i tell myself that i'm not just wasting time oh you know that i'm not that way inclined so you could read that as someone who's who's 
making a real statement positively like I'm not wasting my time. I'm working hard at something, whether it's rock and roll or anything that someone's working hard on, and they're never going to give up. Or he says, after all this time, I tell myself that I'm not just wasting time. The fact that he needs to tell himself that he's not just wasting time is a kind of sad quality to it. Is this someone who yeah. is mistakenly saying, you're not wasting time? I imagine everyone who is wasting their time and wasting life probably d- tells themselves that, but maybe deep down knows that that's not true. So... I just I, I this is this is a sort of song that makes me have that way of thinking, whereas Romeo on his ownio doesn't. No, but it, it's it's honest. It's like um, it's. It, I'm trying to think of a a, a song where it, we say it when we review you two. Um, there are songs where Bono there's, there's absolutely there's zero um disguise it's completely i think we call it nude bono i call, call it, it nude that. bono you call it that. yeah it's it's completely um this is completely nude phil Linnett. there's no pretense it's just him and hit te- you know the, his emotions and his story and the way that he see he's he sees the world or how he sees the world sees him you know something like that and, and um this it can get quite complex but i I'd I'd like it because I feel like I'm really getting to know Phil Linnett. It's it's like a conversation with Phil Linnett. Hmm. He's telling me something true and honest, and I think that's where this song really has its strength. And again, that's not something you get elsewhere on the album. It's another bit of the palette. It's another color. Yeah. It's a, it's just there's so much on this album to. Uh, to find and 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 figure out Be- beautiful yeah and and what beautiful. I, what i was makes ex- makes me bloody cry it does <laughs> what i was expecting when I, when we first chose this album was essentially jailbreak and um the boys are back in town and what i was expecting was and seven other not as good versions of that type of music which would have been fine <laughs> you know um but we didn't get that we've got lots of different stuff including the unfortunate cowboy song which if you're happy to move on to that yeah all five minutes 16 of it yeah go on well i'm i'm just i'm not a fan i mean i'm sorry i I'm going to shock all my American listeners. I'm not a fan of this kind of rootsy American... Is it rootsy? I don't know what the hell it is. I'm not a, fire of, a fan of campfire Americana sort of songs. I, I think am... it starts out like that, but it certainly doesn't end like that. No, but that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It's, it's, I can't focus on anything from there. I'm just not a fan of that kind of home on the range sort of stuff that that idea of America does not appeal to me unless it's being made fun of like with blazing saddles or uh, Marx Brothers Go West, that sort of thing. I think I think it's important to notice that um, maybe maybe also uh, in in Britain, and and I'm, and this is what I'm assuming about Phil. And it, it seems we've we've other songs on the album like "But the Boys Are Back in Town," uh, Dino's Bar and Grill, references like that. It seems like mm-hmm. he's very interested in American culture. And trying to have a piece of that for himself. I yeah. know um, from what my mum and dad have told me over the years that that was kind of the the time when the UK, uh, you know Britain started to look over to 
our transatlantic cousins and and start to emulate them. First McDonald's and, restaurants and came over here and that kind to, of stuff. To visit as well in a, in a more realistic yeah. sense. I mean, it was it was a possibility. America was an you could actually go there and all the pop culture reinforced by that time. So many westerns had come out and everything. So sorry to interrupt you there, T. No, no, but the, that that you know that's the point. We we were looking to America for what's next, and oh, we we want that, and we began to uh, steal and copy and uh, try and emulate America in in various ways. Mm. And and I think that's what's happening on on this song. It starts out very country. I do like country music, so you can sod off, frankly, Johnny. It's great. There's so much. It just See, oh, I, there's just so so much in it for I, me. I, for songwriters, it's 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 great. You're just you're just interested in your little guitars and your machines. Um, see, I I say I, I like me, country, it's great. but what that means is I like Johnny Cash and about three Glenn Campbell songs. So <clears throat> yeah, I don't really a, a, necessarily know how much of it. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, I just feel um, this has got a bit of a rattle and hum vibe to me, and you know, I get. It's just, it's not that it's bad, and once the song gets going, it's pretty pretty cool. And then it does have a it does have it's still tight, it's still incredibly catchy and well played. It's just not my the- cup of tea. Um, oh, but at the end, I've got here written, and I'll let you talk about this. Um, I've got um, they're actually pretty good at the end at not playing. So there's a bit where pretty much everything drops out, you know, and it's just bass and drums or and a bit of singing and you know the guitars pull back and i put iron maiden should take notes here like try to be good at not playing as well so there we go i'm ignoring that uh four minutes 20 when the solo kicks in i've i've just put this is rock and roll and i <laughs> love it i love everything about it it's so oh it's just oh it's so good he's so good and I love songs that start start very differently to how they end, and I get that in this song. I mm. love it. I think it's fantastic. Well, you are an, a complete philistine, and I will get you onto country music. Send your country music that somehow has a U two connection for future episodes of Tummel. Maybe mm. asking a little bit too much, though. Um. Well, also the other problem with this song is. When he says when he says roll me over for the for the start of the chorus, that sounds like he's saying Romeo again and it takes me back to a better song. So like you know the chorus he goes, Romeo over like I think oh he's saying Romeo. Oh that was a good song. I'd like to listen to that, not this cowboy one. So that annoys it, me. What, what about what about rodeo? Does that get you as well? That rodeo got me. Rodeo and Juliet. No, no, no <laughs> in this song, if you if you if you peruse the lyrics well, yeah, I mean, again, it, yeah, it, it just reminds me of something else. Um, and he also in the lyrics... I don't, I don't think you've listened to this song. Well, here's about this for me listening to the lyrics. It's the second time where he says female. And I'm starting to think, is Phil Linnett the inspiration for Martin from Friday Night Dinner? You know, females, that kind of thing. That's what he sounds like on here. Right, that's... Right, okay, fine. <laughs> Friday Night Dinner is a sitcom, probably not... Uh... World is successful worldwide. It should be not hugely successful over here. Uh, right, final track then, number nine, Emerald, four minutes three seconds, and I can't believe I I I can't believe how much they've packed into four minutes three seconds. Yeah, it again. I, you, I made it, and take notes. So through. Well, this again. This is an I. This is basically an, yeah. an Iron Maiden song. 
Um, I don't know what you think it's about. I did try to do some research. Well, I've got and, something what Phil um, says it's about, if, you, if you're interested. What, Phil Linnett? Well, not Phil himself, but Phil Linnett's biographer saying what he thinks it's about. Ah, what would he up. know? What would he know? Eno? Eno's not mentioned it at all. Very much out of his wheelhouse. Um, so, although it actually did write an album called Emerald and something, Emerald and Lime, I think, or something like that. Anyway, um, so according to the biographer of Phil Linnett, Mart Putterford, uh, the composition Emerald was the last word on the author's burning fascination with Irish history, a blood-curdling clash of steel and morality embedded upon a st- spectacular Gallic guitar riff. Lyricist Linnett, the band's leader, frontman and principal writer, had a lifelong fascination with history and legends of the Emerald Isle. In spite, not only, um, sorry, in spite being not only half black, but technically an Englishman. The song is certainly one of his and their finer efforts and with the trademark Lizzie dual guitar leads. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. And we are definitely in the wheelhouse of Iron Maiden. I think subject matter, pure Iron Maiden. Um, a lot of the guitar seems almost like Metallica at different points. And the whole song itself amounts to like an almost spinal tap level of excess, but I, I love it on here. I think it's great. I think this is one that I will come back to. Oh yeah, def- definitely. Um, but I, I was, I was on about specifically, you know, contextually what the lyrics are about. And there seem to be three, um, different theories going, going Go for it. around. One is that it's a Viking raid or, you know, of way, way back in Ireland, you know, Viking times, when there could be a Viking raid. Um, the another theory, which I think is really interesting, if um, if you consider the lyrics, um, is that it could possibly be about the uh, the uh, Catholics v Protestants and and that tension in Ireland. Um, now I think that that's a really interesting reading, but I'm not sure how much you know how true that that could really be mm. and the, the the final one which seems to have the most weight is that it's about cromwell and the english taking ireland um re- referencing the sack of wexford and the siege of drogheda the last line mm. um they come for the emerald i.e ireland and without it they cannot leave um yeah. so there's, there's there's a lot there and and, and it's, it is interesting lyrics and i, I kind of like because I'm an Iron Maiden fan, I, I like these historical lessons told through the purposes of heavy metal. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. But musically, regardless of whatever's written in the lyrics on whatever context it is, uh, the, musically, the twin guitars, dueling riffs, they're absolutely epic. They, you cannot listen to this song without getting carried away with it. And I just think, what a crazy way to end an album. Talk about going out of a bang. Yeah. And it, it really does leave you wanting more. Yeah, I yeah. just I, I I had to listen to this song again immediately because I just I wanted it. I wanted to listen to it again. I wanted more of it. This this could be eight minutes long, and I and I would thank God it's I'd, not. I'd, I'd love it. I just I um, oh sure no. no but what I mean by that is there's no I I don't like the idea of um languid guitar solos that go on for so long, and that's another one of the things that I kind of get annoyed at, like when. When a guitarist is having more fun than the people listening to him, then that's where I, I, I switch off. And the reason, the thing that saves Lizzie from that is because, I mean, A, the harmonies of a guitar are so good and so intricate that you think that's impressive that they've been able to do that simultaneously. But they understand that every guitar line has to actually justify itself to be in the song. It's not just 
yeah, have three minutes in the middle and um, I'll go off, you know, this this is a singer saying this, I'll go off and have a, a beer or something and come back and you should have finished by then and just have a noodle and, you know, just have fun with it. I don't like that. I think you should, you should have to earn every note that you put on the record. Um, interestingly enough, this was one of the only ones, as far as I can tell, that was a a group effort and everyone contributed to the songwriting. And that's a nice way to finish the album on a, a real, you know, collaborative piece of work here which is which is nice and they certainly could have added another track on i'm surprised that it's only nine nine tracks but i guess it's better to want them leave people wanting more yeah and they as i say this this track definitely does uh, does that um i cannot even begin to state how much i have been loving this album and having this album in my life and how much of a soundtrack it has become over the last few weeks i i want it's the first thing i want to do when i get home i want to listen to the to these you know to these songs um just incredible i i actually think people don't talk about this record enough i don't think thin Liz, finn lizzie gets talking about mm. enough spoken about talking <laughs> spoken about i wasn't gonna say making it words now you know uh they it's it's incredible, and I think there is there is a shared energy with you two. It's not just the fact that the two Irish rock bands. I think if you like that feeling of being in a U two audience, then you're gonna love these songs. I think I think there is there's something shared which might not be that tangible or that it's not that easy to realize it. But when you go away and you listen to the album, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get this. There's definitely a shared spirit there, yeah, and a shared energy. Um, if if may, may, I, I always feel funny uh, trying to claim that we're introducing people to these albums that have been around for so long, because obviously you've, most people have probably heard these. But we're introducing before. ourselves. If you haven't, yeah, we're introducing ourselves. But I, I I'd never want to assume that other people haven't heard them, you know, because other people actually managed to listen to. More than one band when they were growing up. Fair point. Which we failed, we failed to do. And I just, I just think if you haven't listened to this for a while, and if you are one of those people that's never listened to this, really give this time, and it won't take long to get into your head and really um, start to have a, a crazy impact on you. So yeah, I hope, I hope we, I hope we can introduce someone to this or reintroduce someone to this. Yeah. Uh, it would really. Yeah, it's just uh, icing on the cake. And what we'll but, what we'll do is uh, we will um, put in the in the episode description we will put a link to that YouTube document. It's a BBC documentary. It's on YouTube, very easily accessible. Uh, just in case people haven't seen it, I'd say no matter where your interests lie in rock music or in music in general, it's a great documentary. Very sad as well, but it's very inspiring in a way. That documentary, not just sad. Because at the end of it, Phil Linnett is asked a question by the guy interviewing him and it's the same question that people get asked all the time which is um what what's your favorite song the interviewer guy dresses it up a little bit but it's basically the song of what's your favorite song um looking back on all your body of work and can you remember the answer that he gives tightly to that the next one yeah exactly and i think that shows a really great attitude from him um he really really he he wasn't just he wasn't just a rocker who it's what he did and eventually the music became uninteresting to him. I think he did obviously have massive problems with substance addiction, but 
I think he always cared so much about the band and about music. And um, from any of the live videos I've seen, he really gives it his all. He's not phoning it in at any stage. But the bit that I really took away uh, or really like focused on, you know, had to consider was, do you remember the, the bit in the documentary where they say that after the, the final tour, they all said goodbye to each other at the airport and then that yeah. that was kind of it. And no, no one said this is the end of Thin Lizzy. That we're breaking up. It was, it was kind of just something that was understood. Is that we can't continue to live this way. Um, but something that also comes across mm-hmm. in that documentary with the, uh, the interviews with Phil Lynott is that Thin Lizzy was his life. That's he. Yeah. He lived to be in that band. He lived the life of a rock star. And I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have that thing that really encapsulates your whole life have that one thing taken away and like what what was there then for Phil it's it's like it's like i wish he'd have been able to get help and keep thin lizzy then he has something else to focus on you know and and i think i don't feel like thin lizzy breaking up was the answer i think it was more of a you know it it, it, I think it only probably progressed the problems. No, I, I don't know. I'm I'm a new fan to uh, Thin Lizzy, but just from watching that documentary, I think we can all now agree mm. that I am an expert. So, um, <laughs> so that I think I I just I, it made really made me think about that. You know, that what after Thin Lizzy, what else was there for for Phil to fill his time with? You know, oh, you just go away and you recover. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about about it. But that's how that's how it came across, and that's what affected me the most. Uh, that at the end of Thin Lizzy, everybody just went the separate ways, and they they would kind of just left there. And what could this band have done if they'd have stuck together through the eighties, the nineties, uh, and you know, and carried on? It, it's just it... well, I guess that I mean, we we should probably say that various members of the band did carry it on in various sorts of ways so there is some form of Thin Lizzy that carried on but for me um and maybe this is a very obvious thing to say um without Phil Linnett I don't see how you can't have the heart being ripped out of the band I mean that that to me is it's as big as taking Bono out of out of U2 I think I know because of U2 I struggle with bands changing members I have yep. I have this image in my head of of a band. Okay, you're 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 the band. That's that's the band. Those guys are the band. And then every time a, a member gets switched out, or you know, some it it kind of it really it affects the way I see that band. Even if the quality of the music they produce um, stays the same, or perhaps gets better, it's like well, you, yeah, mm. but you're, you're kind of a different band. And I think I only have that because of you two and how many bands are actually out there like you two. It's not the norm for a band that that has any kind of longevity. It's just standard practice. It's an industry, you know, and we we forget that because we probably idolize band members too much and you know that's just part of it but you know i totally agree i still don't put fully trust that new editor's guitarist and he's been in there for ages now no, and they are they are they are probably a better band now and again yeah. i think they're a much different band but i remember uh you told me that the guitarist had left editors and we're like oh well i i, I don't have much hope for the next album now and then the next album came out and uh which was the weight of your love and we we loved it and all of our, all, all of our friends ha- had loved that album and i remember 
great scenes of us all dancing at parties, uh, sing, uh, singing mm. those songs in that uh, of that album. I know your girlfriend loves that album a lot as well. Well, there we go. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, that was Thin, uh, Thin Lizzy and Jailbreak. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been an epic one. Really, really enjoyed it. I wish every album we listened to uh, was uh, so joyous and uh, could have such a big impact on my, on my life. So before we close out the episode officially, Tyler chucked out a tweet about an hour or so ago asking if anyone has any opinions on Jailbreak. And we've already got a few comments. So apologies if nothing gets read out, but we're, we're doing this just right here, right now. It's 20 to 6 and here we go. Um, Bob Christie has written, Boys Are Back in Town was the hit. Uh, that's my personal favourite from the album. Um, I'm Tyler, what are your favourites on the album? Oh, our sweetest thing. Um, mine, Emerald, hands down. Blew me away. Okay, fair enough. And your Dirty Day, the worst song on the album, for me it is Cowboy Song. <laughs> I hate you for that. Uh, running Back. Um, it was fine, just very uninteresting. Yeah, close second that one for me for the worst one. Um, and Bob continues, I'd put probably five other songs ahead on that album. So I guess Bob is saying that he thinks even the deep cuts are better than Boys Are Back In Town, which is the obvious one that I have picked. Um, and he said that Brian Downey drumming on Emerald is first class. Yes, we've not really highlighted how great Brian Downey is on this album. Absolutely tight as a nut, if that's an expression. <laughs> and Ian Walker has got in touch before we ponder that um, simile too much further. Yeah. So, Tyler? Uh, so Ian's just sent us um, what is, is, is in essence war and peace. Um, but, but thank you very much, Ian, for getting in contact. Uh, he's actually given us a lot of a lot of uh, stuff that I, I just didn't know and I don't think we could know. Um, I wish we'd read this before we started. Yeah, it's um, all about the history of uh, Thin Lizzy and the U2 connections. Um, I think we're going to have to find a way of inputting this uh, because there's quite a lot well, to digest I, here. I think one thing we could probably say, I think that the the very last um, the very last thing I think is a good summary. Um, I'm sorry, Ian, if we're brutally butchering what you've said, but we will read this because we've only just looked at it. I've literally not read much of this. Um, um, but Ian said, I love Lizzie and Lynette, um, and I've also thought that so much of what makes you too brilliant is there in everything Lynnet was. That state of being an outsider in your life, a constant state of exile, of wanting something outside of yourself. I guess that was it. It was this that killed him. So, um, and Ian, don't apologise for your essay. I'm going to enjoy, I'm really going to enjoy reading back through this and getting to grips with this. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really nice way to, to close out the episode. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really good summary. Um, and uh, kind of, you know, it kind of links. I wish I, I wish I could have said that earlier when I was trying to describe this, the shared feeling or shared spirit, shared energy that I feel you two and Thin Lizzy Thin Lizzy has. Um, Thin Lenny. <laughs> Thin Lenny, yeah. Fizz Lenny. Um, but yeah, what an album, Johnny. What an album. What an album. <laughs> 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 Bye. Great. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next month with Peter Gabriel 3. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Review 2. 
the YouTube podcast. If you'd like to get in contact or for more information, please follow us on Twitter at REV underscore U2 or on Facebook.com forward slash REV U2 For those rebel type guys, why not email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Review 2 was presented by Johnny and Tyler.